Blessed Like Jesus Blessed is the series that we've been looking at, part seven. One more to go next week. That'll be David Wright speaking to us about that. And, and we've been looking at John's Gospel with this little theme in mind. How does the Lord bless? How did he bless? Because we want to do it as well. We'd like to learn from his example. And today is Bless by Giving. And you can relax. It is not a sermon on tithing. Okay. So, there's a quote. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's a, it's a quote. You might hear, you might know it better as it is better it is, more, it is better to give than to receive. Anyone know who, who quoted that? You know, if there were little kids here, if you asked this question in Sunday school, what would the answer be? Jesus. You asked that question. And actually, you know, it wasn't really. It was Paul. The Apostle Paul quoted it. If you look it up in your Bible, it's written in red because he was actually quoting the Lord quoting that. But we don't have it recorded anywhere in the scripture of the Lord actually saying it. He says the things that are similar. I just thought that was interesting. But that's a, that's a tremendous thing to think about, isn't it? It is more blessed to give than to receive. I've got a couple of questions for you this morning. Do you like Christmas? And yes, I did say Christmas, not Easter. Do you like Christmas? Yes? I like Christmas. I love getting the tree and I love the holidays, you know. What is it about Christmas that you like the most? Anybody? Sorry? Yeah, it's over. Oh, no. Yeah, it's been a family. What about the gifts? You like the gifts? And yeah, no, you don't like buying them, I know. Oh. I love I love buying the Christmas presents, you know, for the people that I care about and love, and other people too that you know, neighbours and things. And that's because, not because I love Christmas, I love to give people gifts. I love giving people stuff, you know, I really do. You know, I give I give people books. I know some people don't read very much, but I still enjoy giving them books because I remember an old man, an old brethren man, giving me books. And, you know, boy, did they help me. So I give people books. And there's a few people that I go and visit that I'm friends with and I give them freshly ground coffee. I take fresh, and just for no reason, just, I'm, hi, I'm here, here's, here's the coffee, let's drink some coffee together. Some of you will have had a visit by me of, of late and you've got little wafer biscuits. Mm. My grandchildren call them nonnels biscuits. They're delicious, aren't they? If you've had them, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you get uh, the gifts of early morning text messages from me. I know some of you think it's a bit early in the morning to get them, but you get them. You know that I'm a builder, I, I renovate, and I've got a lot of stuff in the garage and behind the garage and beside the garage that I like to give away. It's good stuff, you know, you can't throw it. And my neighbour next door, you know, he, he, before he goes to Bunnings now, he says, hey, Raph, have you got, have you got such and such? And usually I do. 
I save him a lot. But I love giving it away. I love giving away stuff. That, we've got chooks. I love giving the little girls next door, the neighbours, you know, the eggs, some eggs to take into the mum. You know, they, they love it. They, the, the smiles, the excitement, the giggles. I love giving people gifts, all sorts of things, for all sorts of reasons, not just at Christmas or birthdays. And why? Why do I do that? I could tell you a whole heap of things that are going to make me sound really good, but that's not the reason. I do it, do it because it makes me feel good. I get a buzz out of just giving people stuff. I really do. I enjoy it. I love doing it. Now, Christ didn't only just say it is more blessed to give than to receive. He lived it. He lived it every day of his life. Every single day. Right through the four Gospels, you'll see him doing this. He's just giving all the time, all sorts of things. He gives comfort. He gives aid. We've heard and, and spoke about him giving food, giving teaching, giving healing, giving his time. And it goes on and on and on. The four Gospels talk about the Lord giving. And, and not only does he give of his, of his uh, resources and, and material and emotional things, but a couple of weeks ago when we talked about uh, the sheep and John chapter 10, we read there in John 15, 10 verse 15, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. You can't give more than that. You really can't. I mean, Anzac Day coming up, Remembrance Day in November. We, we stop as a nation, and most nations do this, not on those days, but most nations stop and think about the people that lay down their lives for, those, for the other people in the nation. And in John chapter 10, verse 17, I don't know if you remember this verse, but have a listen to what it says. The reason the Father loves me, the Lord said, is that I lay down my life. Or the sheep. The Lord gave his all. He held absolutely nothing back. You know, when, I, when the neighbour says to me, Raph, have you got a piece of polycarb, you know, to do my veranda? I think, yeah, I've got a piece up the back, but I was thinking of using it myself. So, no, sorry, Peter, I, haven't, I can't. The Lord never did that. Never held anything back. So this morning we're going to have a look from John 14, how the Lord blesses by giving. He gave his all. The first thing you notice uh, when you read this passage is that the Lord blesses by giving comfort. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. I love that. You know, just before that, he's in the upper room with the disciples. Judas uh, had, had gone and they're still in the upper room and the Lord's trying to tell them about his departure, his crucifixion, his burial, resurrection and his ascension. You know how hard that is to take in. And these guys, you know, they were struggling with it and they were asking him all sorts of questions. And the Lord could tell. He understood that these people were troubled and he was preparing them for his departure. You know, I love the fact that Jesus Christ was fully man as well as fully God because he understood, he understood what they were going through. The word troubled means 
to be disturbed, agitated, stirred up. Can you imagine as he's telling them that, you know, he's going to go to Calvary, he's going to die on a cross, and and you you can read it for yourself, you know. They're thinking, "What, what, what is he talking about? And the troubled soul that they must have had. And, you know, I love the fact that Judy was telling me, this Judy over here was telling us that they take the time to tell, to answer the kids' questions. You know, let, let me tell you this, brothers and sisters. Whenever somebody asks you a question about faith, you know, they're coming from a place that they don't understand. They have no idea most of the time what, what it means, what we've just uh, remembered, what, what, what this book is about what the future holds. They've got heaps of questions. Always, always take the time to answer their questions. You know, sometimes people will say to me, Raph, you know, how come the Bible, you know, what, what's so important? Why is the Bible so important, you know? And how come there's so many books in the Bible? These, these, You know, I'd love to sit down with them and tell them how the Bible came about and, you know, why it's important and all the rest of it. But... What do they want to know? They want to know the answer to their question. I have to restrain restrain myself from telling them what I know, what I think they should know, and answer their question because it's important. And this is what the Lord was trying to do here. He's trying to calm and comfort them, their troubled hearts, by explaining them, explaining to them the answers that that to the questions that they had. And here's what he says. He says, he says, oh sorry, uh, he says. Trust, trust, trust in God, trust also in me. Trust means a reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, surety. This chair, this is the classic example, isn't it, of trust? All the preachers use this. Look at this, look at these chairs you're sitting on. Steel frame, thick, comforting, Cushions and backrests and padding. And when you look at these chairs, you know they're going to support you. They're going to do a good job of keeping you comfortable while the preacher tries to bore you to death. Yeah? They have, that's what trust is. It's, it's, it's a confident expectation. And here's what, what uh, the Lord is trying to say to them. You have, you have you relied on God. You have a confidence in God. Have the same confidence in me. In me. He's giving them comfort by referring them back to their faith in God. He could have said a whole heap of things to them. A whole heap. He could have tried to explain God's plan of salvation. You know, you think about that. Of redemption. But he didn't. He just said, you know what? You trust God, trust me the same way. The next thing he does is he gives them assurance. He gives them assurance. Comfort. And now assurance. What of? His return. I love this. Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I love that. I will come back. Not, you know, if I go, I hope to come back. I may come back. No. It's I will come back. The Lord's return as a sure 
to these men as his departure was going to be. He was going. Nothing was going to stop that, was it? Because that was God's plan. He was going to Calvary and he was going back to glory. That was sure. And his return is just as sure. You know, the angels said the same thing, didn't they? When, when the Lord ascended in Acts, two, in Acts chapter 1, the, and the Lord ascended and they, say, they said, this same Jesus is going to come back in the same way. They gave, he gave assurance as to his, his return and his preparations. What preparations are He says there, I go and prepare a place for you. The Lord is working for them and for you and I, if you're a believer, in heaven right at this moment. What's he doing? It says there that he's preparing a place. He's preparing rooms in his Father's house. An abode is what the word is there. Some, some versions have mansions. That's probably not correct uh, translation. But the word is abode in the Father's house. Where does the Father live? In heaven. So we're talking about your place, a place in heaven. The Lord is preparing. Now the imagery here that's been given is very um, common and understood easily by these people that in those days, um, in the Middle East, in the Orient, the houses had, had you know, lots of little attachments to it, extensions, little wings, if you want to call it that, for family members to, to live in together after they marry and so on. Children had rooms or apartments under the same roof of mum and dad. I'm glad we don't do that. No. But, you know, it's it's happening. It's it's starting to happen here as well. It it was mentioned on the radio just a few weeks ago. And and these wings were built on to the main house. If, If people had means, that's what they would do. They'd build them onto the main house and the sun would, would, would be Building it with, maybe with his dad, but the son would be doing most of the work so that when it was finished and the, the wedding happened, he would bring his bride back to his father's house in the little wing area, extension, whatever, that he had built and prepared for his bride. Get the picture? Of course. That's what it's referring to here. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about the weird imagination that I have. So when I first read about this many, many years ago, I tried to visualise, I wonder what that means. And, and you know, being, being a, a carpenter, the Lord was a carpenter. I thought, oh, he was a carpenter, okay. And I'm, I'm picturing the Lord with his tool belt on, you know, and a, and a big pack of pine studs from Bunnings, and he's getting the studs out. And That's ridiculous. At the very least, he would, he would be supervising. He wouldn't be actually doing the work. I don't know how it works. But I tell you what, he, it says here he's preparing a place. Now, now, that's what I believe. Because he, he also has promised. He gives, he gives a promise here to these people and to me and to you if you're a believer. Back in January 16, the 16th of January, 1980, a reservation went up into heaven. And the reservation was, prepare one room for Raf, for me. That's the day I trusted Jesus Christ to be my saviour. A long time ago, isn't it? 
It scares me when I think about it. But that's what happened. My name was written in this reservation book in heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life, Raf Kirchi. And from that day, preparation started. And when the Lord prepares a place, he prepares a place for the individual, for me. And, and, and he would look and say, oh, yeah, Raph, he, you know, he likes to read. He likes to read. He likes to look out the window when he reads to, on green stuff and maples. So the room's got to have a nice comfy couch or armchair. The room's got to have a nice window with a good view. Maybe a bookshelf here on the right. Little little table here to put his coffee on. That's what it, that's what this verse means. That's what it means. He says the promise is he's going. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you, you personally. Right? He's going to come back and he's going to take you personally to my place, to the place that's been prepared specially for me and you and you. That's what the Lord's telling these blokes. And then he says, not only am I going to take you, but I'm going to take you to where I am. That's relational. He wants to take you personally so he can have a relationship with you in the Father's house in heaven. So it's me there in my place with my Lord. I wonder if everyone in this room can say the same thing. Have you sent up your reservation? Can you say the Lord's coming back for me to take me to my place that he has prepared for me so I can spend eternity with my Lord? I know it's, it's, there's a lot of me's and my in that, but that's what, that's what it's all about. That's why these guys were troubled. I hope that everyone in this room can say the same thing. The Lord also blesses by giving witness, by giving witness. What does that mean? Look at verse 6. I am the way, the truth and the life. Verse 7. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Verse 9. Do you not know me? And verse 10. The words that I say are not my own. They're very important statements, you know, very important. The Lord is witnessing to the fact that humanity has a lot of issues, a lot of problems, you know. Who are we? What are we doing here? Where are we going to go? All those ones that we've all been there, haven't we, at some stage. Some of us are still stuck there. But he's saying, I'm the way, the truth and the life. I am the answer to the problems of humanity. He gave witness to that. In verse 7, he, he gives witness to the fact that he is the authorised revelation of God. What does that mean? That's the way God decided and planned to communicate between himself and mankind. Do you know that? That's, that's what John 1 talks about. In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then you drop down to verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Do you see that? That's why the Lord said, If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. 
That's simple stuff, isn't it? I don't know why we can't get our head around it. But anyway, that's what the Lord is saying. He was giving, also giving witness to his integrity. He says, he said to, the, to these guys, we've been together for three and a half years, guys. Have you not seen, heard and, and witnessed? Don't you know me? Why are you doubting? Why do you have troubled hearts? Is what it's, he's saying to them. And so, so you know, the fact that, that I can say I am a follower of Jesus Christ, it gives me that, that assurance that I have a fel- have fellowship with God because of who Jesus is, the, his integrity of who he is. He is from the Father. He did come from the Father. And in verse 10 he says, you know, I've, I've come to tell you my Father's words. And in a number of places in the New Testament he, ta- he says that. I haven't, you know, he didn't come here to give us his opinion. He didn't come here to give us his thoughts or his doctrines. He came to tell us the words of the Father, of God. And he did that faithfully. And you see how important all this stuff that he's giving. And then the Lord blesses by the resources, the resources, by giving resources to these people that are in the upper room here listening to him and to you and I this morning. We've already heard of some of the resources, haven't we? Verse 12, he talks about the power to do what? The same work as the Lord. Have you got that? Can you imagine that? You know, you know that picking up that rubbish? That's the same work as the Lord does. And also, he, he's, he, he says in verse 12 that he, he will provide answers to prayers in my name. Verse 13, there's unlimited resources. There's whatever you ask in my name. Whatever you ask in my name. Verse 14, he says, I will do it. The I will. Remember the I will in, in, in Exodus? The I will God in Exodus? This is, the, his, this is his son. The I will son. The Lord had an expectation that his work would continue to go on after his departure and he was going to provide whatever resources were necessary to make sure that happened. And just before we move on from there, I've got to qualify a couple of little things from what I just said. The whatever that's refers to here isn't, you know, a new car, a bigger house with a pool, you know, it's not, it's not that. Please don't think it's that. When you look up what that means, the theologians give you all these little all these big explanations of what it means, the whatever. Whatever whatever you ask in my name, what does it mean? And, I, and years ago I came across a, an explanation which is so simple that you can just chuck out all the other things that theologians say. This is what it is. Whatever you ask in my name, he's, the man said, is knowing, know what Jesus would ask in that situation. How simple is that? Whatever situation you're in, what would Jesus ask his father in this circumstance? That explains what that little thing means, doesn't it? 
in my name means knowing his nature, what he is and what he wants done. So I'm not going to ask him for a brand new Lamborghini, am I? Or a promotion at work, or that Essendon wins the premiership this year. You know, that's not the sort of thing it's talking about here. All right? And, and I want to read you a couple of verses out of John 1, chapter 5 which explains it perfectly. This is the same man that's, that's recording uh, John's Gospel in John chapter and uh, John uh, 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we are the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the, this is the victory that has overcome the world, uh, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the, the one who, belie- who believes that Jesus is the, is the Son of God. And it goes on talking about... Um, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears it. That's what it says. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So that, that qualifies that, that what I said earlier, doesn't it? Knowing what to ask for and how to ask for it. So what's the application of this uh, passage this morning for us? I think it's found in verse 10. The key's in verse 10 for you and me this morning. Here it is. It is the Father living in me who is doing the work. The giving work. Christ was given to work, was given work to do by the Father Himself, by God Himself. He tells us that in John 4, verse 34, and other places. This is what it says in John 4 that He had come to do the will of Him who sent me and finish His work. And what was the work of, of God? It could be a lot of, you could, you could put a lot of titles, but it was giving. It was giving. I'll explain that in a minute. And the Lord said that he completed the work with all of his might in John 17. Now here's two verses I want you to have a look at. Ephesians 2 and 10. See if you see any similarities in these two verses and what we've been reading in John 14 and what the Lord's been saying. For you are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in abundance for us to do. And Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's straight out of John 14, isn't it? The same thing. That was happening to the Lord. He said, it is the Father who lives in me who is doing his work. It's the same thing that now the Lord is asking you and I to do. 
just like Jesus Christ, we too have God in us. You and me, the Spirit of God dwells in us, just like the Lord. And we're to do God's work, God's will. What is that? Very simple. To bless others. Always has been, right even in the, New, in the Old Testament. God wanted himself to be known, to make God known. And if he's known, then he's honoured. That's the purpose of God. And blessing others by giving the opportunity to experience and receive salvation through Jesus Christ. That's God glorified. When a person comes to Christ and asks for forgiveness, repents of their sins and turns their life around to God, back to God, God is glorified. That's what the Lord came to do, to glorify God by bringing about salvation, the plan of God. Can you see how it's all linked together? It's very similar, isn't it? Now, how are we to do this? How are you and I to do this? What resources do you and I have to do this? Now, very, very quickly, because my time's nearly gone. We can bless like Jesus blessed by giving in the same way that he has. By giving what? Our gifts, our spiritual gifts that are given by God, by the Lord, by the Spirit to the church, to bless the church. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, each man and woman has his own gift. Every one of you has a gift from God, a spiritual gift. Oh, not me, Raph. Are you calling God a liar? Are you doubting God's word? It says very clearly there that every man slash woman has been given their own gift. And what's the purpose of it? In Corinthians 12 and 4 it says, for the common good. So the gift isn't given to you, for yourself. It's for the others in the church, for the common good. And, 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 and it says there in, in Ephesians 4 verse 2, or 12 I think it is, yeah 12, to prepare, and it's, the gifts are given to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Brothers and sisters, if you have a spiritual gift, which you do, and you're not using it, exercising it, putting it into practice, you're holding out. You're holding out. You're not blessing us. And if you're not blessing us, what are you doing? Now let me tell you that sometimes God gives you a gift and it's very onerous. Hard to do. But if, you, if we don't exercise the gifts that God has given us, we won't grow. We won't mature. We won't glorify God as a body of his people. We won't. So are you holding out? The next thing that God gives us is our talents, our, our natural giftedness, things that we're born with, special abilities to, to a task. For example, to, to sing and play the piano. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do either of those two things. But that's, that's one thing. Uh, maybe maybe you, you're artistic and you can, you, you, can, you can do crafts and things like that. Some of us may be really good with numbers and accounting and, and, and can, can help us with, uh, with our, our books here at the church, you know, look after the money and the distribution. Some of us are really clever at IT. Now, let me tell you, that, that's another one of those things I'm not gifted at. People that are, with the IT that help us, you know. 
caregivers, people who, who care, who ring up, go and visit. And, and you may be one of those people that can make money. Now, I'm not talking about counterfeiting here. It's maybe in business. Maybe the God, God has gifted you in, in business and, and you're very successful in business. Maybe you're a sewer and, and, and a knitter, you know, and, and you, you're knitting stuff for Samaritan's Purse boxes. You see what I mean? These are all things that, that God has given us so that we can give back to others. Bless others by giving it. So there's our, our gifts, our talents, and our treasure. Okay, now I have to talk about money, all right? But it's not what you think. You know, uh, no, hang on, did I? Oh, no, hang on, I'm gone, I've gone too far. Ourselves, time and energy, right? Time and energy. Time is probably the most valuable commodity that we have, the most valuable resource that we have. I'm going to ask you a question. How much time, how much of your time do you give to God? How much? That's a question, isn't it? It's a legitimate question. How much time do you give to glorifying him and honouring him? Now, I got a bit distracted uh, yesterday afternoon trying to work out some figures, but really quickly, we have all have 168 hours a week. If you take out 50 hours for working, that's driving to and from, and, and if you can get eight hours sleep a night... That's, you know, that works out to 62 hours a week of discretionary time. 62 hours, boy, that's a lot of time. How much of that time do you and I give to the Lord? How much? You see, spreading the gospel is a very labour-intensive business. It really is. It, talks, it takes time to build relationships, to explain people the things of God, to, to answer their questions. It takes time, you know? Instead of me ask, answering people's questions about God, I could be watching MKR. Yeah? All the football, which is starting next week. You see what I'm saying? It takes time. We all like to think we're spreading the gospel, but aren't we really? And the sheep, we talked about the sheep a few weeks ago. Boy, are they time-consuming, the sheep. They need teaching. They need feeding. They need encouraging. They need protection. Oh, you know, time and energy. I want to say this very clearly. The Lord got tired and needed to rest, and he took himself away. The Bible doesn't talk about burnout. It talks about being passionate what what energy uh, levels do you have for God and then the money I've got to, I've got to finish the money oh hang on maybe what God asks you to, to do is, is to give some more money to, the, to his work fair enough um, you may have a great job high salary you may be a wealthy person good investments but I want to show you something. This is for your information, right? It's interesting that in the scriptures, you never read of the Lord giving money to God. Never. He might have, but we don't have it recorded. But boy, every minute of his life he gave to God in every aspect that he could possibly do it. But we never read of the Lord giving money to God. He didn't even have money to pay his taxes. That's just an aside. I'm going to finish now because my time's... I had a little bit more. 
Giving is a characteristic and an attribute of God, of Jesus Christ, and it should be ours. God, he gave his only son. That's a pretty big give. And his son who gave his life for our sins. An even bigger give. What can you give to bless others? Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to come together and to worship, to remember, to honour and praise you. And also, Father, to hear your voice through your precious word. I thank you, Father, for your your word, for the Bible, for the things you have recorded uh, in it for us. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would take the things that have been uh, pointed out to us from your word and, and apply them to our hearts and to our lives. Help us, Father, to put them into practice, to be obedient people who love you and love to hear your voice being spoken into our hearts. This I pray in the Saviour's name. Amen.